Hey, buddy, do you want to say a few words about this show before uh, people give it a listen? Yeah, I want to encourage everybody, if they want to uh, to learn more about the uh, Albums Are Dead podcast, to go to albumsaredead.com or visit us on Twitter, we could, uh, twitter.com slash albumsaredead, uh, on Facebook, again, slash albumsaredead, and uh, where else? We're on Instagram, uh, and if you look for Albums Are Dead on Instagram, how about that? We'll also be there. Um, nice. I post a little teaser every week about what albums are to come. We're also on iTunes, and uh, I think right now that's the only place we are. We're going to try to eventually get to like Google Play, Spotify, all that. But on most podcatchers, if you type in Albums Are Dead, uh, you're going to find us. Uh, tell me, uh, do we make money doing this show? We do not make any money doing this show, and uh, all the songs that we play on the show are for preview purposes only, so make sure to go and support the artists, even if they don't need support, it's still the right thing to do. Go uh, stream their music legally or buy the tracks, because uh, we want to keep above board, folks. All right, folks, uh, with all that being said, I think we should get to our episode. What do you think? Let's do it! It's a lot harder and louder. I mean, I wanted to do something that was very different for me, and um, obviously that stems from the writing of the songs, so I deliberately put into the drum machines, for instance, which is always the first thing I do, something I couldn't, you know, I, if, I, if you've got the tempo that's driving along, you know, and going like the clappers, you can't write a sort of dreamy, dreamy thing behind it. So I tended to, to try and put some up stuff in the drum machines, just to sort of make me write different stuff. And songs like Studio and Who Said I Would, and only you know and I know. Um, let me think. Don't lose my number. Things like that are all much more up stuff than I've ever done before. Albums are dead. Whew. Episode Some right there. Oh, episode sweet sixteen, everyone. Yes. And uh, we're going to talk about Phil today. And I just, I'm, I'm going to let this roll for a bit because even though we're going to hear the song later, here we go. Here's my thought. I have the thought. Can, All we, right. can we just let the album just play the whole way? <laughs> just we don't even have to. We don't even have to talk. Just just sit here for the next whatever 40, 50 minutes and just listen to the album, and uh, then people can just. Listen to that. Our, our listeners are just like, yes, please. Like, finally. <laughs> just just play the album. I remember uh, for our sister show, The Mezzanine Sleepover, we do yes. a very similar format with our music episodes that we do on this show where, you know, we play a little bit of the song, then we talk over it about the song. Mm -hmm. And yep. my aunt, who sometimes listens, is like, why don't you let the songs play? <laughs> really? Why, why are you talking over them? <laughs> Your aunt's listening, oh no. No, I don't think she's listening anymore. This would have been a long time ago. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so anyways, but we are going to, of course, as usual on this show, we're going to break down an album in great detail. We are going to talk about it track by track, the making of the album, the tour, mm. reviews, and other uh, bits of goodness uh, with us. Uh, did we introduce ourselves? I forget. No, we did not. Well, I'm the Slip with five eyes or Slip. Slip. I am at Megamix.com on the Twitters. And uh, very excited about today's episode. Phil Collins, no jacket required. You know, there, there aren't many uh, 
it's, it doesn't get much better than this. Uh, let's uh, start right away with the first thing. Uh, I'll, yeah. Do you want to? Do you want to ask me a question? Yes. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about Phil Collins, and I got to ask: Have you seen him? I have. Yes. Uh, technically, I've seen him twice. Uh, in 2007, I saw Phil Collins play uh, a show with Genesis. That's right. Uh, but I had never seen Phil Collins uh, do a solo show until about three weeks ago. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, he uh, is on his Not Dead Yet tour. Uh, Yikes. He rolled through Toronto. Uh, and um, what can I tell you? I mean... I mean, first of all, let's let's. Uh, it was a great show. Yes, Phil Phil's band is fantastic. His seventeen-year-old son drums, nice, and is amazing. Uh, yeah, and of course gets the big pops, right? Obviously, of course, uh, including the dudes all doing a drum solo, and Phil all just sits in front of the drum kit, and I'm like, that has to be so intimidating. Oh my god! It's all your dad just like all the other musicians leave the stage. Yeah, and it's all your dad's sitting there watching you. And your dad's Phil Collins. Yeah, yeah. Um, but does, <laughs> does a fantastic coming. job. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm, so, I'm not surprised he was sitting in front of him. Yeah, yeah. Great song selection, <laughs> so that's great. But a few things have happened. Number one, Phil is bald. He's been bald for a long time. So yeah. he looks like, you know, he's going to look older uh, because of yeah. that. Uh, mm-hmm. But the main thing is that he has screwed up his back. He has, he has screwed up his foot. Uh, okay. He walks with a cane. Yes. And he has to be seated throughout the show. So he's just kind of sitting in a chair with all this activity happening around him. It looks like an Ikea swivel chair. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of looks like, <laughs> it's like if you went to an old folks home and watched like an old man sing. Yeah. Well, I uh, watch clips and he's all there in like a tracksuit sitting on, <laughs> yeah. on a little chair and he looks slumped over. Um, again, I don't want to, you know, not, not to be, um, you know, ageist or any of that. It just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit jarring. Uh, especially considering, I mean, he's not that old. So hopefully he can uh, recover from his various ailments and uh, be able to uh, to get mobile again. Because that, uh, that that no one wants to be in that position at 65 or 67. Yeah, but it was it was a fantastic show. So very glad right I up. went and yeah. uh, played a number of songs from uh, No Jacket Required, which we'll be talking about. So yes, I have seen him. There you go. Good uh, setup, too. Uh, tell Would me. Would you like to ask me a question? Uh, well... <laughs> I won't ask you the same question. Okay. Because we know the answer. We know the answer. <laughs> uh, my question to you is, tell me mm. about your fandom of No Jacket Required. I fucking love No Jacket Required. My dad had this tape, and it was like the greatest thing ever. I just, I have fond memories of of driving, uh, I mean, I used to think it was driving out to Kenora, but the timeline doesn't match up anymore. Because by 1985, I think we had a cottage already, so it must have been out that way. But driving in my in in, in the in the old man's uh, uh, Chevy Citation with the with the rack mounted uh, tape player, because it wasn't it wasn't included, of course, uh, in the 80s. And uh, you know, belting out uh, some of these tunes, it was great. I love this album. Uh, many fond memories, and also, um, I mean, it's just tremendous anyway on its own without the memories. It's uh, what what you know, strip those away and it's still a fucking great album. Yep. So I love it. Uh, so full disclosure on my end, uh, Peter Gabriel is my favorite artist of all time. Yes. Genesis is in my top five. Yes. And Phil is way up there as well as a result of this. So I started off, um, 
I started off as a Genesis fan and then yes. kind of worked my way backwards. So this is in the early 90s. Yeah. So worked my way backwards from there with both Genesis and Phil Collins. And then about two years into that, started with the Peter Gabriel stuff. Yes. <clears throat> Loved all of it. And uh, it was, but it was one of those things where, you know, it wasn't cool to like them. No. And so I kind of kept it on the DL to a large extent. <laughs> Uh, when we became friends in high school, we kind of discovered that we were each fans. So that was good. Yes. And then when I got to university, found like all of these people who liked Phil Collins. And really, if you think about it, everyone likes Phil Collins. Like, well, not yes. everyone. I'm going to read some reviews. But yes, <laughs> but I can't it, wait. It's, it's like at the time, it was kind of the surprising revelation that people liked him. But yeah. now you look back and it's like, and you look at the numbers and the songs and all of the, you know, everything. And you're like, well, of course everyone liked them. If you grew up in the eighties and you were a kid, I mean, it was unavoidable. I mean, Phil Collins was one of the biggest stars in the world. And we will talk as a about, solo artist. We will talk about this period of time around this album because it, it, sometimes it doesn't hit you how big an artist he was, like what a big mm -hmm. deal the dude was, especially yeah. uh, in these years. And I mean, Phil Collins, I mean, is a testament to, I mean, this is where talent wins over because Phil Collins is a super, was a super nerdy uh, British dude, yeah. unassuming, but like was multi-talented, an amazing singer and instrumentalist and drummer and just, uh, you know, crafted some of the greatest uh, albums of that decade. Uh, so let me uh, talk a little bit about Phil. <laughs> we yes, we usually refer to him. Hey, you listening to some Phil? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Philip David Charles Collins, not to be confused with Def Leppard guitarist Phil Collin. No, no. <laughs> uh, is an English drummer, singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, record producer, and actor. Uh, well, he was in Buster. He was. Uh, he is the... Oh, he was. It says he was, but... Um, if they ever get back together, the drummer and singer for the rock band Genesis and also a mm -hmm. solo artist uh, between 1982 and 1989. Cullen scored three UK and seven US number one singles in his solo career. Jesus. When his work with Genesis, uh, when his work with Genesis, uh, his work with other artists, as well as his solo career is totaled. He has more US top 40 singles than any other artist during the 1980s. Wow. His discography includes eight studio albums. He has sold uh, over 33 million records uh, in the U.S. alone and a worldwide <laughs> 150 million uh, albums. By God, King. Uh, he is one of only two recording artists who have sold over 100 million records, both as a solo artist and separately as princ principal members of a band, the other being Paul McCartney. Nice. He has won eight Grammy Awards, six Brit Awards, uh, two Golden Globes, one Academy Award, and a Disney Legend Award. He is not, though, an EGOT winner. No. Uh, even though, uh, I mean, if, if that Tarzan movie ever got to, uh, got to Broadway, you think, mm -hmm. you think it could happen. Uh, Maybe. He is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of Genesis in uh, 2010 and... Uh, he is in the Modern Drummer Hall of Fame in 2012 because he is, uh, as, as much as you know him as a singer, <clears throat> he is an amazing drummer. Um, it, he needs to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a solo artist. Uh, yeah, and I, I believe that that will come at some point. It has to. has to. Uh, so 
a little bit about uh, his background in music. Obviously, in uh, the 1970s, uh, mm-hmm. he joined a rock band, Genesis. Uh, and uh, most notably at the time, uh, Peter Gabriel is the lead singer. Uh, there is also uh, Steve Hackett, Mike Rutherford, Tony Banks. And for uh, five years, from 1970 to 1975, he is the drummer percussionist and he sings uh, background vocals at the live shows yep in 1975 peter gabriel leaves genesis the band uh puts some thought into who is going to take over as the lead singer uh, and they are initially um they initially put an advertisement out and get a whole oh, yeah. bunch of people who apply for the gig but ultimately they settle on phil coming up to the front and becoming mm-hmm. the lead singer and the face of the band. Uh, at the time, this is now, we're in the mid-70s, uh, Genesis, which has been a very big progressive rock band. Yeah. Uh, slowly at first, uh, but then very quickly as we uh, get to the end of the 70s, uh, become much more kind of mainstream pop, uh, rock, uh, radio-friendly uh, band that are generating hits uh, much to the chagrin of early Genesis fans. And I just, but they look, sell a shit ton of records though. Yeah. And I look at it and I go, you know what? You can enjoy both. Like you really can. Of course you can. I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, so we get to the eighties. Uh, Genesis releases my favorite Genesis album, Duke in Duke. 1980. That will be on a future episode of the, uh, albums are dead podcast. Yes. And quickly after that, uh, Phil goes off and he records his first solo album in 1981. It is called Face Value. Yes. Uh, The most famous track from Face Value is In the Air Tonight. Yes. It reaches number one in seven countries worldwide and number seven in the U.S. It sells five million copies in the U.S., and again, In the Air Tonight became a hit and reached number two in the UK charts. And uh, at this point in time, um, Phil is pretty strongly hooked up with a producer named uh, Hugh Padham. Uh, are you there? Hello? I'm here. Hello? Yeah. Hello? You're just, so, Hello? you're just so entranced. I'm just my... listening. Yeah, yeah. I'm letting the master... Just, just uh, give us the give us the background. It's great. So, Padham has uh, produced uh, for a lot of well-known acts: Phil Collins, Genesis, XTC, The Human League, Sting, and The Police. Nice. Uh, along with Peter Gabriel and producer Steve Lillywhite, uh, they also uh, end up pioneering what's known as the gated reverb or gated drum sound. Yes, um, that is basically the. So Padham is credited with the gated drum sound used prominently in the Phil Collins single in the air tonight. The effect is believed to have been first used on the 1980 third self-titled solo album by Peter Gabriel. Yes, indeed. Uh, At the time, uh, Padham was working regularly as the recording engineer for noted UK producer Steve Lillywhite, and they collaborated on many well-known albums and singles in the early 1980s. The gated drum effect is created by adding a large amount of heavy compressed room ambience to the original drum sound and then feeding that reverb signal through an electronic device known as a noise gate. That's all stuff I just know. I am not reading it off of a website. No, as a percussionist and a drummer, Uh you know all this just off the top of your head. And I have to say, 
Um, I love the sound, it, and obviously it's very t- tied into Phil Collins. Yes. That being said, I will still always ask the question, he is one of the greatest drummers in rock and roll. Why do you need that? Why yeah. do you need a drum machine? But uh, they I, did. But he clearly likes sequencing and, 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 and programming beats. <laughs> it's very clear. I mean, you know, I was taking a quick look at the, I mean, off the top in the intro, he even talks about it, but I'm taking a quick look through this album and some of the, the a lot of sequencing going on here and a lot of little synthesizers and drum machines. I, I you know, it shows, uh, I guess you get to a point in your career and you want to start experimenting. Yes. <laughs> so uh, between 1981 and 1984, uh, he is going back and forth. So he releases, um, he releases his first uh, solo album in 81 then Genesis releases Abacab later on in 1981. There are tours for all of these. Uh, he then ends up releasing his second solo album in 1982, Hello, I Must Be Going. Yeah, he's uh, a busy man. Uh, yes, which includes uh, the most notable track from that is probably his cover of The Supremes' You Can't Hurry Love. Yes. Uh, it's his first UK number one and uh, solo uh, song. Yep. Uh, he goes on another tour. Uh, he then, in 1983, along with Genesis, released a self-titled album, uh, which includes, most notably, That's All. Uh, yes. There is yet another Genesis tour that takes place. So this guy is going nonstop. Uh, should also be yeah. noted, um, not as much of a theme on the album we're going to talk about today, but uh, I, yeah, I was about to ask. Face, value, <laughs> face Value is largely about uh, Phil Collins' divorce. And Hello, Why I Must Be Going is about more songs about the divorce. I can't imagine why he got divorced. I I know, right? At least keeping at the time. Exactly. Uh, So we get to 1984, and uh, I'm going to play a little song here. What are we playing? What are we doing in 1984, Phil? How about this? Oh, yes. 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 How can I just let? Uh, so this is against all odds. Uh, open oh, parenthesis. Nice, but... uh, excuse me. Excuse me. Against all odds. Open parenthesis. Take a look at me now. Close parenthesis. There, there you, you go. go. Now Thank you can you. talk. There. I was just saying those pipes, my friend. Uh huh. I know. Right here we go. Uh, this is, of course, from um, a uh, film of the same name. Against all yes, odds. All odds. Yep. Uh. It's been covered by everybody. It's obviously very, very well known. Uh, In terms of commercial performance, it peaked at number two as a single in 1984 and became his third top ten single in the UK and the US. And it peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for three weeks in the spring of 1984. Beauty. So it's his first, uh, I believe it's his first number one uh, song. So there you go. Also won the Grammy. Right right up there in the charts with... uh... With songs from what we covered last week with Cindy Lauper around that same time, we're, we're covering the same time frame. It's exciting. Yeah, he also uh, this song also won the Grammy Award for Best Pop Vocal Performance by a Male in 1985. Oh, I mean that vocal performance is top notch, so it's not surprising. And here, it's like a Phil Collins song with a drum break. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> here it is. Isn't it right here? Gated reverb, my friend. Do, 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 do. Yeah, it's so great. So great. All right. So we've got that uh, as the first song. 
but he's not done yeah. yet before we get to uh, No Jacket Required. Of course he's not done. 1984 also saw Collins contribute to the production on Chinese Wall, the third solo album by yes. Earth, Wind, and Fire vocalist Philip Bailey. Um, if you listen, a lot of um, Phil Collins' uh, first two albums have lots of horns. In fact, so does No Jacket Required. Uh, yes. Where he is actually ganking the horn section from Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yes. Uh, and it includes this duet. Woo! Ow! WrestleMania 1 pizza. It sure is. So this is Easy Lover. It's yes. a duet with Philip Bailey and uh, Phil Collins, written jointly. Um, but and composed by Bailey Collins and Nathan East. Uh, it appears on the album Chinese Wall. Uh, Phil Collins, it, uh, here we go. So good. Uh, it doesn't appear on a Collins album until his 1990 Serious Hits Live album. And it oh, is, a great album in its own right. Yeah, and it is also on his uh, first compilation album from 1998 called Hits. It was number one in several countries, including Canada. In the U.S., it reached number two. It was kept off the top spot by I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. Come on. Uh, Terrible. Easy Lover won an MTV Video Music Award for Best Overall Performance in a Video. And as you mentioned, was used as the theme song for the first WrestleMania in 1985. Go back to last week's episode about Cindy Lauper, where we talk a lot about the events leading up to the first WrestleMania. Yeah, and unfortunately, that song has been scrubbed from the uh, WWF's uh, archives as they don't have the rights anymore to use it. All right, so now we're getting to um, the good stuff. No jacket required. No jacket required. Let me just hop over to the no jacket required. I'm just going to go to the Wiki. Why not? So, no jacket required. The third solo studio album by English drummer and singer-songwriter Phil Collins. It is released on February 18th. 1985 on Virgin in the UK and in Ireland and on Atlantic Records in the US and Canada in the rest of the world. Is that an RIP in peace? Atlantic Records? I guess so, right? I believe so, yeah. And WEA Records in the uh, rest of the world. It features, and we'll talk about this in the songs, guest backing vocals including Helen Terry, Peter Gabriel, and Sting. Uh, A lot of the songs are based around improvisation and we will get to them when we go track by track. Uh, Some songs have political messages. Some songs are the standard Phil Collins love songs. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other is to studio. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Phil Collins does say, and I don't have the exact quote, but he basically uh, says that uh, after writing his first two albums about, you know, divorce, he wants to make something that's a little bit more. He basically wants to make hits and he wants it to be danceable. Nice. So he's he's trying for a bit of a change in direction, but obviously um, sticking to uh, his roots. Interesting that his that his uh, that then he would come back with butt seriously. Yes, he would, wouldn't he? Enough of the fun. Let's get serious. Uh, here is uh, Phil talking about the album title. Ooh. Of course, Phil. What the world really wants to know is the meaning of your new album title, No Jacket Required. Well, it comes from years of um, spending vast sums of money in hotels uh, for very nice rooms, mind you, but vast sums of money, and they're not being considered adequate enough or fully dressed enough to go and eat in the restaurant or the bar. 
because quite often, you know, you go, you spend $200 a night in New York for a hotel room, and they'll gladly take your money, but they won't let you go and have a drink in the bar unless you've got the correct jacket. I mean, I could walk in in a jacket like this, say, <laughs> and get a drink. And yet, if I went in, if I went in um, to the bar with a sort of 400-pound leather jacket, I would not get a, a look in at all. And it's happened to me on Robert Plant's tour a couple of times, and it's happened all over the world, all over the time. So get it straight, hotel managers. <laughs> so, yes, uh, according to the Wiki, the album is named after an incident at the Pump Room restaurant in Chicago, Illinois. Collins entering the restaurant with former Led Zeppelin lead vocalist Robert Plant was denied admittance because he did not meet the restaurant's dress code of jacket required for dinner while Plant was allowed in. So he stuck it to the man. Yeah, he's like, I'll make this album and show you. <laughs> uh, in terms of commercial performance, uh, this remains Phil's. I love on the Wiki it says Collins's, but come on. Phil's highest selling album, having sold over 12 million copies in the United States, where it is certified diamond status. Uh, It is uh, one of the 50 highest selling albums in the U.S. and the U.K. It was uh, in the U.K. It was certified six times platinum over 1.8 million copies, 20 million copies worldwide. Uh, it had numerous music videos, numerous singles, which we're going to talk to videos. I know, right? Maybe for the first oh, time ever. A new, a new, a new wrinkle. Uh, and as we go track by track, <laughs> I, I have a treat for you. In some oh. tracks, I have the uh, No Jacket Required version. Yes. But I also have tracks from the EP released Ooh. in 1987 in the UK, 1988 in the US, called 12 Inchers. Ooh. Which is a remix album by Phil Collins. It nice. contains six tracks from No Jacket Required. Remixed. Huh. Are are any of them a sex mix? Uh, there are none that are sex mix. No. <laughs> a reference to a Genesis uh, song. Which one? I can't dance. I can't sex dance. Mix? Yeah, the sex mix. <laughs> anyway, uh, shall we get into the tracks? Oh, let's do it. Uh, yes, let's go track by track. So we start off with a bang. Here we go. Yes. Right, Susudio released snapping. Uh, released as a single on January fourteenth, nineteen eighty five. It is the uh, it is the first track on the album. Uh, I forgot to check the order. Lead in which, single, right? Uh, no, it is not. It is the second God. single. Oh, okay. Uh, off of this album, cool. Uh, it entered frequent rotation on MTV in May, and by July sixth, both the single and the album uh, were at number one on their respective Billboard charts. Mm. Uh, there is quite a bit of speculation over what Susudio means. Why don't we have Phil tell us? All right, let's hear it, Phil. There's things like um, uh, Susudio, for instance, which is, has no meaning at all. It was just a word that I invented. I, mean, I didn't even invent. I just opened my mouth and sang it because it, it worked with the rhythm and the melody of the song. Uh, and then, of course, when I tried to write the words for it, I had to write something that meant something. So I sort of Susudio. Okay, well, no, what can I use? And I, I went you know, ages trying to find a word that would replace the studio. 
eventually backed off and just said, listen, okay, it's a studio. Now, okay, if it's going to be that, what does that mean? And then I arrived at maybe it could be a girl's name. And we've had strange, strange descriptions of what it means. I mean, various disc jockeys have thought it's a Japanese bloke with a stutter. All kinds of strange things. I can't say the word studio. I mean, it's one of those things. It just doesn't mean anything. But I've had to make it mean a girl's, be a girl's name because um, I get asked the question all the time. So apparently, uh, later on, um, <laughs> Phil Collins' daughter had a horse and they named it Susudio. Who makes up words? Uh, I know, Boss. right? Tips. Boss. All right. <laughs> Uh, To keep discussing it, here's the, uh, this is the uh, 12-inch remix. Uh, I have two more comments about this. Okay. Number one, uh, this was not really made famous, but um, famously used in the movie American Psycho. Uh, yes. Patrick Bateman, the main character in the film, really loves Susudio, and there is graphic scenes of him murdering people with the song playing in the background. Yes, indeed. Uh, the second one is, when this was released in 1985, critics mm-hmm. assailed Collins for this song's similarity with Prince's hit, 1999. Yes! Collins responded by saying that he was a big Prince fan and that the original version of Susudio sounded even more like Prince. Man, we talk a lot about Prince, eh? Always have to find a Prince reference on this show. Always, yes. Uh, Here we go. Alright. Alright. Okay. Well, that's, you know. Oh, there it is. Alright. Well, there you go. This song is tremendous. Um, the best part is when he says, I, uh, I know that I'm too young. My life's just begun. And you hear a sassy what? Cause haha feels, well, he looks old anyway. Um, I should note that, uh, on songmeetings.com, mm. uh, there's some speculation over what this means from some people. Uh, Dodge in Gliss says, Susudio is a word Phil Collins made up to describe every girl he's ever had a crush on. Could be true. Okay. Could be true, right? Um, yeah. Oasis Ness. So with the word Oasis in his name, yes. probably not going to be shocked. Who cares what the meaning is about? I detest the song. Of course he does. There's just something that that grinds me brain. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it drives him bonkers too. So there you go. Susudio. Um, I, I keep an eye on the uh, Discogs page, which has uh, extensive... Uh, uh, credits yep. and uh, I do uh, I do notice that uh, the synthesizer used in this track is a mini moog bass so there oh, you go beautiful uh, let's go to uh, track two yes So it's got a long intro. Uh, this yes. is only you know and I know. Yes. Uh, now, a fact that I can't verify anywhere, but that I I truly believe this is the case. Okay. I believe that this song was used in the 1980s for, like, Jets games. You think so, hey? I do believe so. I believe that this yeah, was the song. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. 
I'm not something sh- revolving like maybe on uh, on like a CKND or CKY broadcast. Yeah. Now I'm saying Winnipeg Jets, everybody, just so you know, not New York Jets. Jets. Um, the real Jets. The real like Jets. The Jets. Not um, the imposters. Now Phil Collins, of course, in Manitoba, Canada lore would also uh, later on. Uh, his song "Something Happened on the Way to Heaven" was the theme song for the uh, Prairie Pulse News on 13 yes. MTN. Right on. Um, awesome. Other than that, I don't have many facts about this song. Other than it's the second track and it's pretty awesome. Well, you know, and again, I mean, right, right. Again, we got we get gated reverb on the drums, just like Susudio. Yes. I mean, heavy, and uh, the second track in a row with uh, with uh, big contribution from the Phoenix Horns. Which, of course, is the uh, horn section from Earth, Wind, and Fire. That is correct. So good. Uh, I'm going to actually very quickly play this. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This would be the 12-inch version. Ah. Ooh. 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 little echo there. I, I kind of love the idea that, like, this album was so big. And then Phil, of course, went on to do some other stuff for a few years, but no solo yeah. stuff. So they just yeah. needed to squeeze a little bit more out of this album. So they just put out this EP. <laughs> I love it. All right. There you go. Uh, let's... unremarkable overall, though. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to track three. Yes. So we have long, long way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, backing vocals on the song by Sting. The Stingmeister, yes. Uh, makes his first appearance on this album working with uh, Phil. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit later about uh, Phil's day during Live Aid. Uh, but they yes. do, But they do sing uh, this one during the London stage of the Live Aid show. Uh, him and Sting are together doing that. And, like, I get it, and, again, we'll talk about it later, but, uh, I mean, I get that you get Sting out there, but, like, a little bit of an odd choice for a live concert kind of song, but... It's a political um, song. I do like the track. It's yeah. a political song, so it's yes. it's it's fitting the... Just it's, a slow it's, kind of, yeah. It's fitting the mood of the concert, right? Yes, and we'll get to that. Yeah, um, yeah all right, go. Oh, no, I was just, I was just looking at the... Uh, we got a roll in 808 yeah. on this song, which is great. And uh, we got some piccolo bass in there. So for all you music files, this is uh, this is a song for you. <laughs> so good. A uh, couple of notes from songmeetings.com. Yes. Uh, user Brett11243 says, This is one of Phil's open letter songs about a dissolving relationship. No. And as described in the, haunting, the three haunting scenarios, he still thinks they have a long, long way to go before the relationship is doomed. I do not believe that's what the song is about, but no. I would not be surprised that someone would speculate that with Phil. Of course they would. Uh, if someone had told me it's about a divorce, I would say probably. Probably. You, I mean, you have a, you have a very good uh, chance of it being that. If you're like trying to, if, if you're just taking a shot in the dark, the best thing to do is to say it's about divorce and you're going to be right. What? 80% of the time. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, Moog Lee says, it's mm. also about TV and media and how it's easy to shut it off um, and shut off the world's problems, make them disappear, at least from our eyes. And that's why at the end of the song, they say, switch it off, turn it off. 
I'd say that's pretty accurate. That's a little better, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, so a nice little... Uh... A, little bit of a, a little bit of a haunting song, you know, and a bit of a spiritual precursor. Not just in kind of the feel to it, but also a little bit in some of the chord progressions to... Uh, to uh, um, What's that? What's the one... Well, uh, let's just say it's a little it's a little less on the nose than another day in paradise. <laughs> yes, yes, but it's got that feel, right? Yes, it sure does. It sure Absolutely. does. Especially that progression with the at, with the keyboards at the start. Uh, so that leads into we pick up the pace here. Yes, here we go. Called Domo Stappen over here. Oh, you must be so excited. Called Domo Style. Uh, so this is I Don't Want to Know. Yes. Um, there's not much info out there about this. It was never released as a single, but really? uh, a personal favorite of mine on this album. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure yours too. Yes. Uh, should totally, if he had, you know, if he'd wanted to squeeze a few more singles, I would imagine this would have been the next one to come out. Oh, my God. So we'll, we'll the to force. Yeah, we'll just there were only four singles from this album, but let's listen to the chorus. Here we go. Here. Phil like really um sticking it to whoever. Oh, I know. Has right? wronged him, right? Oh yeah. Where he's like she can cry all she wants, she's not going to get me back. <laughs> Right on, Phil. I love the uh, the, the double trot vocals are great too. Such good. I love what I love the harmonizing with themselves when they when they double track their vocals. Great. All right, now we're getting into the heavy shit. Here we go. We sure are. Here we go. Sexy. Oh, where are my pants? <laughs> They've fallen off. All right, One More Night is the lead single in the United States and second in yes. the United Kingdom. Uh, it is Phil Collins' second U.S. number one single, so this is following Against All Odds, and the yes. fourth single to reach the top ten in the U.K., peaking at number four. It entered the Billboard Hot 100 at number 50 on the chart, dated February 9th, 1985. It hit number one uh, seven weeks later and remained on top for two weeks. Yeah. Uh, this actually was released again uh, a number of months before the uh, album was released. Right. So there yeah. you go. Had a hard time cracking number one in the UK. There must have been some novelty songs out. Uh, at the time. <laughs> this ballad remained on top for two weeks, as we said. It was then surpassed by "We Are the World" by USA for Africa. Ugh. Gross. Uh, Collins was playing around with his drum machine at Roland TR-808. Do you have that on your on your yes, list I over do. there? So there uh, you the go. Sequence, uh, the Roland 808 sequenced by PC, which is Phil Collins on Discogs here. Oh, that is so good. So good. Yeah. And that's uh, that's how it was probably written in the liner notes. So they've when you click on PC, it takes you to Phil Collins. So, you know, there you go. He later recalled that the writing of the song, which has no hook, was completed very quickly uh, its B-side in the UK was I Like the Way, well, in the US, uh, it was a track called uh, The Man with the Horn. Mm. Um, there is a music video. Yes. Uh, features Phil Collins playing a piano in a downtown bar. It was filmed at a pub 
in London, uh, and then they speculate it might have been the same club as the Sioux Studio video. Uh, Phil Collins' drummer, our drummer, guitarist, his drummer, it's all him. <laughs> Phil's guitarist, Daryl Strummer, who is awesome, makes an appearance, as do the Phoenix Horns, uh, and uh, one of them, of course. Don Merrick plays the sax solo, which closes the tune. That's right. Uh, the rest of the Phoenix Horns did not play on the song. Uh, so in the video, they are. Um, Phil has a few things to say about the song. Here All we right. go. Let's hear it. I mean, the idea of the song is is that, as I'm sure many people have, you know, been through the experience of when uh, you date a girl and uh, you get on very well, and then suddenly, you know, you see her without with somebody else, and you just know that if you just had that one, you know to explain or to show her that you were the right man for the for the gig, you know. I mean, uh, just one more night would, would put everything straight. And um, that's really what the song's about, you know, sitting by the telephone and not wondering, not, not, not knowing whether you should call in case somebody else picks the phone up and all that kind of stuff. So, a couple of things. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Number one. So he's just describing the lyrics. Yes. Right there. Number two, yep. he should be posting that to song meanings. Exactly. <laughs> As we continue to discuss user. this, song, uh, <laughs> I don't even know. I can't even think of a good username for him. <laughs> yeah, user Susudio Writer says. <laughs> uh, let's go to as we keep talking uh, before about. Before we move on, I would be, oh, um, I'm just going to play the 12 inch version while we keep just discussing. Yeah. Go. Okay. Um, I would. Uh, oh, now did I lose my train of thought? I don't know. For did you? Sakes. I'm so I, sorry. Oh no, it sucks. I, th- I thought I had some kind of some kind of funny joke, and now I've lost it. So I'm sorry, everybody. Okay, my favorite. A uh, couple of good things. Oh yes, oh. I got it. Oh, oh, okay. There we go. Go. I got it. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that this is a classic sing-along song. <laughs> One more night. night. Oh. We'd be so. He didn't sing this at the show that I went to. We would be so uh, obnoxious. Well, we would ruin the concert for somebody <laughs> by with our obnoxious singing. We sure would. Uh, All right. Songmeanings.com. So they post the lyrics, which is great. My favorite part, of course, is at the end of the song when he sings, "Ooh, ooh, ooh." <laughs> it shows up like fifteen times. Oh, 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 just to let you know, those are yeah. the lyrics. Okay. Um, user Speed114 says, mm. I guess he posted something earlier because now he says, Fortunately, I realized the aforementioned girl wasn't right for me. Now I'm pursuing someone else and this song still fits. Oh my God. <laughs> I love the I love the concept of pursuing somebody. <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. Swing them. It's like, dude, come on. Uh, user Mambr- <laughs> user Mamberso says, "Song seems to be about a guy who pretty much blows it with someone he really loves. He never really has a chance to tell her. Now it seems too late. She has slipped away, leaving the guy nothing left to do but plead for one more chance to express how he feels. And I'm thinking maybe that's Phil." Maybe yes. He's, he's just he's just put it in now. A user uh, lateral lateralis five one eight says beautiful speaks a million words to me. Phil is underrated, which I would argue no, he's not. No, he's not. Like, I love the username. A reference to the band Tool. 
<laughs> I I just like how he's like feels underrated. I'm not saying he's overrated. I think that he is rated exactly where he needs to be. Agreed. So anyways, one more night. I love this song. Classic. All right. We flipped the record over. And here we go. Uh, this is my favorite track. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the 12 inch version. That, yeah, there you go. So this is Don't Lose My Number. Oh, so good. It's not called Billy Don't Lose My Number. No, it's not. It is called Don't Lose My Number. So get it right. Yes. Uh, this is the third single. Uh, yes. And it was not released in the UK. It was the third single in the US where it peaked at number four in September of 1985. Oh. Uh, the B-side, We Said Hello Goodbye, was released as a bonus track on the CD for No Jacket Required. Mm. Uh, in Australia, though, the single mm. was released with the title, open parenthesis, Billy, close parenthesis, oh don't lose my number. Come on. And how's Billy spelled? B-I-L-L-I-E. Nice. Even okay, though in good. the lyrics that you read, it's Billy with a Y. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So uh, this is my personal favorite. This one uh, really takes me back. And uh, Phil with a sinister, sinister sounding voice. Amazing. Collins has stated that the lyrics were improvised, that he does not fully understand what they mean. Uh, Billy is nobody. Okay. It's just it's just from improv. He just made it up. Oh, like Susudio. There you go. Uh, there is a music video. Ooh. Uh, he decided to create a video showing his decision process in selecting a theme for a music video. In the video, oh. Collins ta uh, talks to various directors who all give him bad ideas for the video. Their suggestions allowed Collins to parody several other music videos at the time, including videos by David Lee Roth, Elton John, The Police, The Cars, as well as movies such as Mad Max 2. It sounds utterly dorky. Well, that's Phil Collins. <laughs> yes. Uh, here is the 12-inch version. Fuck, he's enjoying those, that little conga sound. Uh, as we're listening to this, songmeanings.com. Okay. User Boonchick21. Mm. It makes me think of a young boy being kidnapped. Ooh, okay. So, you know. <laughs> uh, user Always Sweeter67. You need a better number at the end of that. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing with 67? Says, I heard this today in a cookware store and couldn't hear the words very well, so I thought he was telling a woman not to lose his number because she was his everything. Either way, it's a great song. I love Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly you love Phil Collins. It's like, I love him. Don't know what the song's about. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't tell what the lyrics were. Heard it in a store. That's why I'm talking about it. There you go. <laughs> Uh, uh, on this song, Phil played drums, he played keyboards, he did obviously vocals, and he sequenced the drum machine. <laughs> there you go. Here you go, Phil. So this 12-inch mix really strips out everything good about the song. Uh, yeah, it really does. 
Uh, here we go. The next track. This sounds like a 12-inch mix. So good. Uh-huh. There we got full Phoenix horns on display. Yes. Uh, so Who Said I Would? Originally recorded in 1985, never released as a single until a live version was released in 1991 as a single from his live album, Serious Hits Live. Oh, it's a great version, too. Uh, and it was the sole single to be released from that album in America. Uh, Phil originally wrote and recorded the song... Uh, um, oh, no, it's the same It's the same fact. It only reached number 73 on the Billboard Hot 100, though. Yeah, well, I mean, it was 1991. I didn't think it was going to make a dent. Uh, it also has uh, this. <laughs> Listen to those drums. Jesus. <laughs> Oh my god. Is this an Atari game? It's terrible. That's the 12 inch version. These mixes are never going to be good. Like, like we want Daryl. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, oh. Jesus. All right. Anyways, not much to say. Oh, wait. There you go. There's your robot. Yeah, I remember well, this, well, this morning I texted you. And uh, said how much I love the robot voice. That is Phil using a vocoder. Ah, so good. Uh, that's one of my favorite parts of the song. Oh, Sam, I would. Oh, Sam, I would. All right, let's go to the next track. Yes. Yes. Um, I love all the songs on this album. I would say this is probably the most throwaway track for me. Really? I find this uh, to be uh, a bit of an underrated track. Oh, well then. We disagree. Like hey, get out of here. And you know what? It's probably because for some reason I, I hadn't had this kind of, you know, in my, I don't think I even had this in my library for like the longest time. I don't even know why. And uh, I kind of, maybe it's because I more recently rediscovered it. Okay then. Love it. Love it. Uh, from songfacts.com, this is a track uh, that was made in response to everyone around Collins getting a divorce. So no. not not him, uh, but yeah. others, including. It's, all, it's, all, it's almost like he's be he, what, he's bemoaning other people getting a divorce. Yes, <laughs> including his manager friends, and though he was happily married to his second wife, Jill Taverman, himself years before. <laughs> Uh, he explained to the mail on Sunday, all my friends were breaking up with their partners. Suddenly, it seemed no one wanted to run the distance and work it out. Contrary to what people may think, I tried very hard to work things out with the woman who left me. I never took it lying down. You know, you, you were just on the road. Phil. Yeah. You were always exactly. gone. Yep. Um, my favorite fact about this song. Yes. Collins once performed, Doesn't Anybody Stay Together Anymore, a song about divorce, at Prince Charles's 40th birthday party, he would yes! separate from Princess Diana not long later. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I love it. Uh, so that good. That is the best song fact of the night. Uh, so that is this song. Now, another song that was not a single, but I think is the most underrated on this album is this one. 
fucking love this song. So good. So I don't really have anything on Inside Out, the second to last track on the uh, on the album. Other than I think it's a fucking great tune. Uh, do you so have <laughs> uh, Do you have any information on the instrumentation? No, not really. It's pretty standard. You know, it's it's got uh, Don Myr- Myrick on saxophone. Other than that, it's the usual suspects. Not a lot of sequencing. Just straight up drums and vox and keyboards by Phil. Uh, I agree with you. Um, Love this track. Fantastic song. Here we go. Just watch this. You know, another song where Phil is just like, you know what? I'm not going to be screwed with anymore in these relationships. Yeah. <laughs> like, really? You watch out, ladies. Phil means business. That's right. No more yeah, divorces for a few years. <laughs> All right. And now... Uh, the again the LP version and the original version of the album closes off with this and I mean come on oh so good the juicy fucking song All right, so we have Take Me Home. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I always say, a great album needs a great closing track. This is a great closing track. Yes, it is. Released as the fourth single on July 25th, 1985, two days before my seventh birthday. Nice. What a present. Exactly. Uh, it was released uh, moderately well in the UK, peaking at number 19. Um, and in the US, it reached top 10, peaking at number 7. Uh, I will play the extended mix in a moment. Oh, no. no. Uh, It is a staple on his tours, typically the last song that he is going to play. Uh, Of course. Often closes shows, and why not? It's, you know, pretty much about... It's great, and it's got... uh, It says, Take Me Home. It's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to hop over to Song Facts. Mm. Often misconstrued as about uh, a song about a man returning home. How, how would that be? <laughs> Phil Collins stated on VH1 Storytellers that the song's lyrics refer to a patient in a mental institution and that he was inspired by the novel One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. All right. Uh, Sting and ex-Genesis bandmate Peter Gabriel sang backup volos, uh, vocals, also featured yep. is former Culture Club backup singer Helen Terry. Helen Terry, yep. Uh, there is a music video. There is. It's a, it's a tremendous music video. It's a pretty good music video. Yep. Uh, it features Phil Collins singing a couple of lines of the song in various cities around the world, including London, Moscow, New York, Paris, Tokyo, and Sydney. Uh, this is not with a uh, green screen or backdrop. Uh, I oh. would imagine that during a tour, he, he filmed portions of this song. Indeed. It's great. Uh, and of course, in regular Phil fashion. Oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, in typical feel fashion, at the end of the video, uh, yes. it features him heading out at the start from his home. Yes. He arrives home at the end mm-hmm. with, you can hear his wife yelling from inside, you know, you're, you're late. Where have you been? And he's like, oh, I've been a little bit of everywhere. And she was like, 
you were at the pub, weren't you? And then he looks at the camera all like with a goofy Sheepish. look. Yeah, terrible. Exactly, because <laughs> that's what Phil does. All right. Uh, while we keep talking about this, let's switch to the twelve incher. Uh, in two thousand and three, the hip hop group Bone Thugs and Harmony yes, they did. heavily sampled the song for their single yep. "Home," and yep. in the music video, Collins appears. Could he be more mismatched with who else he was in the video with? <laughs> nope. Uh, but not at all. My favorite, uh, my favorite note about this song. Mm. Take me home was the closing theme song for World Wrestling Federation television show Saturday Night's main event for several years in the late 1980s. Nice. That's, yes, yes, yes. And again, like so much testosterone in wrestling fans, and then they're like, <laughs> "Let's close with this." And again, scrub from history. It's it's a terrible shame. Yeah, it is. Uh, so that is how we end the album. There yeah. is, again, on the CD, there is one more track called We Said Hello Goodbye, but I am not going to uh, no, bother. that doesn't count. That's not canon on Albums Are Dead. You talked about mismatches. Um, I, I assume in the next section we're going to talk about a, a mismatch of Phil. So I can't wait to discuss. Are we? Oh, yes, we are. You <laughs> you are correct. You are so correct. Uh, so yep. there we go for songs. Um, I do want to mention, um, gonna, we're going to talk about uh, reviews in a second. Um, but, um, after this song ended up, um, or after this album ended up being released, uh, there was another song that was released in 1985 and, uh, I want to play a little bit. You call me in your hotel. So this is Separate Lives. Yep. Uh, it's a duet with Phil Collins and Marilyn Martin. It was on the soundtrack for the motion picture White Nights. Yep. And get this, reached number one in November of 1985. This hit-making machine. Yeah. Uh, now, this version was written by Stephen Bishop. Uh, everything else on, on the other album is is Phil. Yes. Uh, but this is um, this is Phil. Or this is another person's uh, writing, but uh, Phil puts it out and uh, it hits number one as well. Everything he touches is turning to gold at this point. Absolutely. Um, so there you go. Just wanted to talk a little bit about separate lives. All right. Some reviews. Okay. Let's hear it. Let me just, uh, pause that there. Here we go. Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually don't have on the, uh, on the review that I'm reading here. It doesn't have a rating. Uh, the Rolling Stone album guide gives us three and a half out of five stars. Oh, come on. Um, but the Rolling Stone article, which was written in 1985, Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just read a little bit here. Uh, David Frick wrote this about mm-hmm. the worst thing you can say about this record is that at times Colin's charms seem a little over familiar. The softcore romance of the ballad one more night occasionally echoes last year's against all odds. His continued reliance on staccato horn uh, fills also is beginning <laughs> to wear thin. Okay. But who said I would is a refreshing blast of breathless <laughs> print style funk. Nice. Set at full throttle by guest keyboard bassist David Frank of the system. I don't want to know has a swift rock kick and take me home adds all-star vocal backup sting Peter Gabriel, Helen Terry to its engaging circular rhythm and uh, melodic texture. So there you go. Right on. Robert Pris Criscow of the village voice. Yes, yes, yes. Gives this album a rating of C. Oh, not good. Between his self-depreciating videos and his good taste in business associates, 
<laughs> better Philip Bailey than, say, Steve Perry. Collins isn't as hateful as an art rock leader by default turned best-selling solo artist in the world this month might be. In fact, he's not hateful at all, but it takes more than that to make me want to hear a stupid love song again. <laughs> Never mind the absolutely unsurprising lyrics and arrangements, and just tell me why it's, uh, it's, this is a great mean of Britpop voices. Uh, is it because no one ever wonders what it sounds like to be unfiltered? C. All right. So I don't know. Cantankerous, yes. as always. Uh, in 2010, Paul Lester, writing for the BBC, uh, there again, no, uh, no rating on this one, just a quick review. Um, but he says, uh, there's no denying that for sheer proficiency and mastery of its domain, this blend of power ballads and synth-up Hook-heavy rock remains unbeatable. Susudio may have been uh, been in hawk to Prince's 1999 up to its rolled-up jacket sleeve elbows, but it was a <laughs> blistering album opener. One More Night was a slow jam just crying out to be covered or sampled. Don't Lose My yep. Number, a U.S. single, has melodic echoes of Easy Lover. Collins chart-topping team-up with Earth, Wind & Fire's Philip Bailey from the same year. Take Me Home, the fourth single. Um successfully combined electronic and organic instrumentation. So relatively positive things to say. Yeah, absolutely. Amazon.com. Ooh. Uh, and of course, I'm not here for the positive reviews. No, no, of course not. Of course not. Uh, here we go. Jay Beecher in 2015 says, one star, crimes in music. <laughs> go back to your cave, Baldy. And in uh, 2007, Master of Taste <laughs> titled this, No Taste Required. <laughs> no Taste Required to Enjoy This Album. Phil Collins should stick to Genesis and the drums. As an adult, I have to say that adult contemporary music has to go. A friend of mine played this album for me, trying to convert me to the Collins camp. What was he thinking? <laughs> I love the... Uh, I love the... It's all... It all has to go. It's an album that's been out for fucking 30 years. Yeah. This has is, to go. This has, oh, out of here. this has to go. All right. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the No Jacket Required World Tour because we're pressing up on time. Indeed. All right. Let's do it. It occurred between February and July of 1985. Um, mm. Obviously a massive tour. A massive tour. This is a, a, the tour where they filmed uh, the Take Me Home video. A television special also directed by Jim Yukich and produced by Paul uh, Flattery was recorded at Reunion Arena in Dallas on May 29th, 1985 <laughs> and aired on HBO entitled No Jacket Required Sold Out. <laughs> right it was on. then released on uh, VHS. So it's probably Ooh. out there somewhere for you to pick up. All uh, right. Tour starts in Europe. It starts specifically in Nottingham, England. Makes his way through the British Isles into mainland Europe, over to Australia and uh, New Zealand, then Japan. We finally hit North America on May 12th, 1985. The mm. first tour is at the Worcester Coliseum, or the Worcester Centrum. Ooh. Uh, but then their second appearance is at the Montreal Forum in Montreal, Quebec. Nice. Uh, he goes through arena shows for the most part, but. In the June of 1985, the 29th of June, 
a concert at the CNE Stadium in Toronto. Nice! To 49,500 people with a gate of $886,680. Sweet Jesus! So Millions in today's dollars. Uh, a good amount of money. The tour ends on the uh, 2nd of July, 1985. His second show in New York City's Madison Square Garden. Yes. He takes uh, about 10 days off. And oh. then we get the Live Aid concert. Live Aid, yes. Uh, so, uh, first of all, here's Phil talking about uh, Live Aid. I'm Alan Hunter backstage with a very busy Phil Collins who uh, probably doesn't really know where he is, so we'll remind him. It's uh, oh, backstage. No, no. Everything I do is carefully planned. Backstage JFK, that's where we are. That's right, yep. You started your morning off very early, your day off early. Like when? Well, I get, well, 9, 9.45, I woke up. English time, which of course was, I don't know, four in the morning here. And um, I just got up, got the kids breakfast, and then got in the car, dropped them off at my mum's place. And um, we came we came to uh, Wembley, and I did a few songs with Sting. I did a couple of songs, the same songs I just did then. I only know two songs. And then... Um, then How did those go? They were very good, yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, they were very good, I enjoyed it. Um, and we did a couple of songs, Sting and I, together. We did Every Breath You Take and a song from the new album, my new album. And then I came here. I got on Concord and came here. Got asked a lot of questions on the plane. But I enjoyed, I enjoyed doing it. I, I wanted to come and play with Eric. Because, I mean, we're neighbours, we're great buddies, and I just wanted to play. I wanted to play the drums. So I came here to play with him. I wanted to play with Robert and Jimmy, and I played with him. And I did my two songs that I know. And uh, it was great fun. I mean, uh, you know, this is, what, this is what your time is for, isn't it? To use it up doing silly things like this. Really. Well, of course you know the song, so you just uh, sort of... All right. Along. So... Yes. Yes. So, Phil Collins, I love how he's just like, well, this is my day. I got up, fed the kids, dropped them <laughs> off at mom's place. Then I went to Wembley and sang some songs. And I took a Concord and flew to the States. Yeah. So and Phil, played some more songs and played with Led Zeppelin. Yeah. So Live Aid uh, was um, a full day concert. One venue was London, England. The second one was Philadelphia in the U.S. Uh, yeah, Phil there Collins, were also satellite concerts going on throughout the world as well. Phil played at both shows. Yes, he, he did. He started early off in Wembley. Then they took the Concord, a plane that doesn't fly anymore because it crashed a lot in the 90s. <laughs> but it was super fast. Yeah, it was super fast. It got him over to Philadelphia in time to do uh, the United States portion of the show where he played drums for Eric Clapton is the Eric that he's referring to as yes. his neighbor and buddy. Uh, and uh, there was also a Led Zeppelin reunion. Oh, my God. Uh, New York Post. Come on. The five, the five worst, most forgettable Live Aid performances. Okay. Number one, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> if you're wondering why the classic rock group has been so reluctant to reunite, you probably need to look no further than this absolute disaster. Jimmy <laughs> yep. Page's guitar was out of tune. The band couldn't hear the stage monitors. And Phil Collins filled in on drums for John Bonham, who had died five years earlier. Collins said later... You could sense I wasn't welcome. If I could have walked off, I would have. But then we'd all be talking about why Phil Collins walked off Live Aid, so I just stuck it out. It was a disaster, really. Robert wasn't match fit with his voice, and Jimmy was out of it, dribbling. It wasn't my fault. It was crap. Um, yeah, you know what? This is readily available to watch. You can find it on YouTube. 
Um, it's not just Phil drumming. I mean, he's drumming in tandem with, who is it? Oh, there's someone else. Yeah, there's two drummers. Yeah, some dude. And it's, I mean, this, I believe, I mean, watching it now, watching it now, and I'm a big fan of Led Zeppelin, but uh, Page and Plant, not ready to perform. Just have a listen. Have a listen to this. This is a whole lot of love. Okay. Here we go. Oh, it gets worse. My God. How you can fault drums in that in that uh, in that example? I have no idea. If you see the video of it, Phil is sitting at the drums, looking so uncomfortable, looking over at the other drummer constantly. They're like talking to each other, trying so hard, and uh, uh, a lot of people blame Phil, and I I I, I can't agree. I, I can't agree with that. Uh, and then, uh, I won't read the article. Rolling Stone also put a flashback article by Andy Green, Led Zeppelin reunite badly at Live Aid. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. uh, 2014 article. So, uh, kind of an interesting end. People, and yeah, people blamed Phil, but it wasn't Phil. It was not Phil at all. Uh, uh there's a great documentary, uh, BBC about the whole Live Aid. It's like three hours long, highly recommended, tremendous movie. Uh, and of course, uh, Phil ends 1985 and, uh, you know, after a long stretch of time, you'd think you take a break, but then, uh, we move into 1986 and, uh, we get this. Yes. And, uh, so he goes on and puts out Invisible Touch with Genesis and another monster worldwide tour. Invisible Touch, by the way, uh, Genesis's, uh, first number one, um, album and single. Uh, yeah. So he's he's hitting the peak. Peter Gabriel also hits number one at this time. So it's it's a long road, but they're all at the top in this uh, point in time. So good. And I think that's where we're going to leave it. Right on. What uh, a great breakdown. Tremendously done. No Jacket Required. Uh, one of my favorite albums of all time. And uh, love talking about it and talking about Phil. No longer embarrassed to be a fan. Uh, though that show a few weeks ago, which was a great show in some ways, was also rough to watch. Rough to watch. Uh, you know, dudes get old. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, hope for a, a good recovery, though, for Phil. Um, yeah, I love love this album. Uh, uh, front to back. Uh, just a, uh, a tour de force. A monster. Uh, and uh, it doesn't get much better than this when it comes to... Um, I thought I was going to say, like, pop in the 80s, but this is this kind of transcends a few genres. And it is tremendously produced. It is tremendously written. It is all around a great album. Go check it out immediately. Buy it. Stream it. I don't care. Do it now. Uh, what have you got cooking for next week? Do you want to tell us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next week, uh, I decided early this time, uh, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to take a look at uh, Pixies and their album, Doolittle. Very excited. Nice. One of your favorites, right? Yes, absolutely. So lots to look forward to. Go to albumsardead.com or follow us on all the social media, and uh, yeah. we'll keep you posted. 
on all Do the it. happenings with your pals here. Go listen to the Mezzanine Sleepover, our sister podcast, for other goodness outside of music. And yes. uh, in a week, we will see you. Uh, my name is Slip with Five Eyes or Slip. I am at Megamix.com. Go listen to No Jacket Required, folks. And uh, have a good, good night. night. Good night. Go.